0: I'd like to welcome everybody back today, Alabama Care. We have the absolute pleasure of being with Dr. Graham Sisson today. And we're going to be talking about the Governor's Office on
1: Disability. And at this point, I'd like to hand it over. Dr. Sisson, if you would introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Graham Sisson. I'm Executive Director of the Governor's Office on Disability. I'm also a Deputy Attorney General with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services. And um, are you originally from Alabama? No, I'm originally, I'm a native of Chattanooga, Tennessee.
0: So how did that work coming to Alabama?
1: Well, my family actually moved all over the country. My dad had a job where he got promotions. We lived in California, lived in uh, Fairlawn, New Jersey, Cleveland, Ohio, and then Rome, Georgia, and then Alabama. So So you kind of traveled all across the US. That's right. And about what age did you uh, come to Alabama? Age 16. Okay. Uh, so that was right in high school. That's right. That can be a tough time to move. Yes, it was, but I was glad. I mean, uh, I, I like the uh, the place where I went to high school, and uh, moved as a sophomore, beginning of my sophomore year in high school.
0: Yes, sir. And um, after high school, you have a a lot of education. If you could talk a little bit about education after
1: high school. Sure, sure. And uh, and one of the themes I'm going to be talking about today is education is great equalizer. So. Um, after uh, high school, I um, originally had an appointment to the United States Military Academy. Um, I lost that appointment when I was injured in a car accident caused by a drunk driver. Uh, I was hit head on. I was a passenger in the back seat, happened in my own neighborhood, and, um, and from there, uh, because I lost my West Point appointment because I was no longer physically qualified, You know, having a close head injury and being paralyzed from the waist down, that, that was in 1982. The 80s weren't that long ago, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We say that very jokingly, of course. Um, So from there, I went to the University of North Alabama. And at the University of North Alabama, I earned a Bachelor of Science in Accounting and minors in History and English. And that was, I was graduated from the University of North Alabama, or UNA, in May of 1987. And from there, I went to law school at Vanderbilt University Law School from 1987 to 1990 and I was graduated from there in May of 1990 and then of course I, I began I began working as an attorney uh, in Birmingham I passed the uh, the uh, bar exam and uh, found out the results I took it in July of 1990 and I found out that I passed it in September of 1990, that was very two long months of my life. So, I imagine. Many months, so it wasn't instantaneous like today where you had the internet and you got the results posted maybe quicker. So uh, from there, and of course, uh, you notice that, um, so I call myself the, the double doctor, you know, like uh, Dr. Pepper, doctor, doctor. You know, so people started singing that song to me when I had, to. so um, when I was in the, uh, had the opportunity to get a PhD in rehabilitation, and leadership at Auburn University, and I did it while I was uh, working full-time jobs with the state of Alabama. So that was, to me, from about 2007 till 2016. So, yes, sir. So I was, I was, so I earned a PhD there at Auburn, and I was graduating December of 2016.
0: Now that is a lot of education, a lot more than I have uh, post high school. Um, And is is there another uh, couple classes that you're interested in taking or you see yourself kind of just taking a class here and there because you're interested in it? there's
1: two things that are still on my list to do. One is to learn American Sign Language Mm -hmm. because I want to talk about communications access in part of my remarks based on the questions you gave me earlier. Um, And then the other thing I want to work on is learning uh, Spanish. Um, I had a, a little bit of Spanish in high school, but I think that's another because I want to be welcomed to all people and I want to be able to, um, to have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's one of the things that we're always learning. You know, the, you've heard the saying, the, uh, the more I learn, the less I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's always an excuse to get more education. I feel that sometimes when I'm trying to learn, I'll play hockey
0: sometimes, and I'll try and get better at my shot or better at my skate, and when I try and implement something, I always do
1: worse for a couple weeks, and then you kind of grow on top of that. So it's the more you learn, the less you know. Exactly, and you know, one time I I was planning on being a chemical engineer, so imagine this is chemical engineer versus a lawyer, so um, I think... I was glad, of, you know, the way things work out, you know, and always get the path you choose, but the path that ends up happening isn't doesn't always work out so badly either.
0: Yes, sir. Now, is it still go Army, beat Navy? Is this? Yes.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> beat Navy. And they did this year, and it was awesome. So.
0: They've had a good run. I know Navy won uh, for uh, like eight or nine years in a row there, and then Army's kind of been taking that, that tide back with them. Um, my grandfather was class of '55 USMA.
1: All right, excellent. Hey. The long gray line. So yes, sir. And we've
0: been to a few of the uh, West Point um, uh, get-togethers here in Birmingham, West Point Society in Birmingham.
1: Uh wow. great group of people. That's uh, good because you know my twin brother did. We had dual appointments, and he ended up going to West Point and he graduated. Was graduating the top five percent of his class. So I'm very proud of him. Yeah. Uh, that's a great academy there, and to even,
0: you know, be on that track is is amazing. So I applaud you. Thank you. <clears throat> um, and today we're going to be talking about, as we mentioned, the Governor's Office on Disability, uh, GOOD,
1: G-O-O-D. And what exactly is the Governor's Office on Disability? Well, it, it was established in 1998 by the then governor at that time. And then uh, what it does, to me, I've boiled it down to two two major functions. One is to serve as a liaison to the governor and the governor's office on disability issues. So if a constituent has a disability issue, they come to my office, I make contact with the governor let the governor know about the issues and help try to help them resolve it. I try to get them to the correct state agency in Alabama that can help them mm-hmm. if I can't help them directly in the governor's office on disability. The other thing we try to do in the governor's office of disability is serve as a statewide clearinghouse for information on disability resources and we have a really good website the website is www.good.alabama and you're probably wondering uh why the name good because somebody said y'all think you're good i said well i think we are good but the other option was god governor's office on disability and i thought we're not that good yeah (laughs) yeah you don't want to compete with there you can't compete with that can't compete with that so so those two primary functions um is we try to keep up the resource. We also track the unmet needs of people with disabilities in Alabama and report that to the governor, and the governor's office. And there's just a lot of things the governor's office that I've had the opportunity to do. And we get you ask me other questions, but some of the things we we do a lot of training and technical assistance. So, as part of those functions, also.
0: I really like how you said liaison there because. Um, the governor is is got a lot of stuff on her plate um, and she probably isn't an expert in a lot of areas so she relies on a very good team to inform her and keep her informed Um, so would I be correct in saying that you're helping keep her keeping
1: her informed on a lot of disability related that's right absolutely I'm one of the uh, point persons um, for disability I know you've interviewed uh, Jane Elizabeth Birdishaw. She has a very close relationship with the governor, also, and mm-hmm. and I would say that uh, Jane Elizabeth Birdishaw is also uh, very strong. has very great knowledge about people with disabilities. So she is also she a and I if you can talk a she and I work together with the uh, with the governor to keep her informed. So,
0: and and what does that communication
1: with the governor look like? Are you guys meeting on a daily basis, or is it more? Well, a lot of it. Sometimes, I try to meet with her at least twice a year in her office if that's possible. And now with COVID, it hasn't been as possible. So a lot of it may be over the phone or through email. A Mm -hmm. lot of it's through email, direct communications. Also communicate through her uh, chief of staff, Joe Bonner, who's a very fine man too, very nice. If you've ever met him, he's very personable, um, is very easy to make a connection with. So, and and he cares about people and you can tell. And so, in the governor, it's, um, and I'm not just plugging this because um, I work for, people may think that, but what I'm saying, I've worked for four governors, and I think she has a big heart for people with disabilities. We haven't had an opportunity
0: to meet her, but everything that I've heard uh, about Governor Ivy is very positive. Um, and that re- I imagine it is <clears throat> a, a big relationship thing, too, of knowing each other and being able to communicate professionally. Um, uh, and, but still, get
1: the point across. Uh, yeah. I was um, I was honored to be um, spotlighted in one of her state of the state addresses, and in uh, that, to me, that was a real honor. And from that point on, I said she she really uh, values uh, the governor's office on disability as a part of her team. So, yeah,
0: that's amazing, and, and a, a lot for the, the community to, to be able to see that. Um, I'd like to ask a question. You said one of the Ah, uh, prerogatives of the governor's office on disability is tracking
1: the unmet needs of disability.
0: Yes. How does that happen? Uh, what kind of data do you pull from that? Or what does that look like?
1: Well, we another entity that I work with the uh, vocational rehabilitation services within the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services that I have the um, I have the honor of of, of leading uh, with other folks is the State Rehabilitation Council. One of the duties of the State Rehabilitation Council is a comprehensive statewide needs assessment or csna that's done every three years and in that document uh, we track the unmet needs of people with disabilities in alabama across all disabilities and i use some of that data we also use there's something called the disability compendium that's put together and i there's an organization i'm sure it's university affiliated that does that where a lot of the information about disabilities in that document that we also report out of that to the governor. Um, Those two documents and just talking with people, we have the opportunity to have nine local advisory councils across state made up of people with disabilities and their family. At each one of those, it's always a topic on the agenda. What are the unmet needs in your local area? So we try to drill down to the different local areas and it, it is surprising that even among different areas, some of the needs are the same, the unmet needs. In Alabama, because we're like other, other parts of the country, democracy, uh, change in democracy is incremental. It's one step at a time. So some things take longer to accomplish and you're still working on it. You get a little piece of the pie, you keep chipping away to keep getting the full need met.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, and I love how you said that there are, I believe it was nine different uh, areas in the state. And then you added on to that that the, there are individuals with a disability and their family members that are that's giving right. this input. So you're really going to the front line and saying, hey, how, how can we better serve you? And then taking that information back and saying, that's got to be very tough to, for somebody to say, I'm, I'm struggling in, I'm, I'm having this challenge in my life. But then being able to formulate that into either an organization or a service that you can then tell the governor about and the legislator about, and that's quite a process there. That's correct. Um, yes, um, I'd like to ask
1: one more question here,
0: and um, you're you're appointed by the governor. Is that's that
1: correct. Great. That's correct. I'm appointed by the governor. Also, um, my position with the uh, with also have the position with the Alvin Park Rehabilitation Services that is not an appointment. So um, so you've been with four governors with
0: uh, Governor's Office on Disability. I imagine that you've had good relationships in that transition.
1: Absolutely. I mean, every single governor I work with has, uh, has um, met with me and I, and I know him on a first name basis. Um, it's an honor to be in that position. I mean, our governor is the, is the top uh, elected official in Alabama. Uh, they have a lot of power. And they, and they wield it wisely, and, and I've certainly, in my, and in my small way, try to help them, you know, try to meet the needs of one part of the population, which actually, you've probably heard this over and over again, all the other people you've uh, interviewed, disability is the largest minority in our state. It's the largest minority in the country.
0: Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. It reminds
1: me when you speak about being
0: on the team, um, assisting the governor and being on the governor's team of a story I heard of um, Ford, that had the Ford uh, motor cars yeah. that when he went to Congress and Congress kind of interviewed him about what you were going to do and these kinds of things, that he had his whole team there and they would ask him a question and he would just, you know, kind of be like, Would you speak on this? And he didn't speak much during that presentation, but his team there really took over uh, mm-hmm. and allowed that. So you're not going to succeed uh, doing major projects without a very solid
1: team with you, absolutely. And in our lie. Uh, a significant part of my team in the Governor's Office on Disabilities my Deputy Director, Marlene words She she has a real heart for people with disabilities, too, and is a very ho- hard worker and um, accomplishes helps me accomplish a lot. Yeah, you need that teamwork there. And I'm,
0: I'm grateful for Clifton being on our team and <laughs> helping. Um, I would like to acknowledge the chat here. Um, Sarah Williams says, uh, hey, Alex, hey, Graham. Hello, Sarah. Uh, I know her. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, Ryan Alford says, watching Tuesday morning today. Uh, Rita B. Patton says, hey, Graham. And Sherry Glenn Henderson says, hey, Dr. Sisson. So thank you, everybody, for being there in chat. Uh, And if you guys have any questions for Dr. Sisson, please don't hesitate. And I will go ahead and present there. Absolutely. I'd love to
1: hear from folks and see what they have to ask.
0: Now, the Governor's Office on Disability has a few uh, specific areas that you focus on there if
1: you could take us through those areas. Sure, absolutely. I mean, the, one of the main purposes of the Americans with Disabilities Act was the full inclusion of people with disability in all aspects of American society. Well, the Governor's Office on Disability, in our mission, we try to get people fully included in these different areas that you've mentioned. Um, I'm gonna check my notes so I don't leave any of them out. Um, these are also unmet needs of people with disabilities. One is education we focus all the way from grade school to college uh, through college and as I mentioned before and that's why I have so many degrees is education is a great equalizer Um, I also serve in this area on education on the the uh, special education advisory panel and we help to advise the special education division within the Alabama Department of Education on issues related to special education, Mm -hmm. and also the uh, Alabama Association of Higher Ed and Disability, Alabama has a chapter, and I serve as an associate member. Um, And I provide information on removing barriers, both physical and programmatic with the schools. Um, I've worked a lot with our community colleges and our four-year colleges, and the uh, Disability Student Support Services offices um, so, basically, that's a very important. Education is, is a foundation for many other things.
0: I have a question about sure. the education. You've mentioned this before. Um, what do you mean by education is the great e-
1: equalizer? That's great. Um, you notice you know, when you're out of college, when you finish high school, one of the first things people ask you are, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to say, I live at home and I draw government benefits? And some people do that and I'm not making fun of them. I'm always trying to get people to to reach their max potential, much like the misstatement of our Department of Rehabilitation Services. And so the great equalizer, if you get a good education, then it will enable you to do many other things, Mm. including get a really good job. Also, it changes your perspective on life. Mm -hmm. The more educated you are, the more opportunities you have. That's why I call it the great equalizer. I think that's amazing.
0: It's like a door that you don't want to have be closed for you. Absolutely. Uh, You want to be able to open that door and, and, you know, turn that knob. Uh, And that starts at a young age, even from, I think, the parent's perspective, Uh, you know, are you reading to the kids at night? Those types of things. Are you getting them interested in those types of things? And the fact that you guys are focusing on that in education, all the
1: way from grade school all the way through, um, shows a good support through the entire process. Oh, absolutely. And um, education it's so important, it's also about expectations.
0: How do you mean by that?
1: Well, we want the educational level of all people with disabilities to be as high as possible. We need to create high expectations in that area, no matter what the disability is in store. Of course, some are very significant disabilities and may have uh, less opportunities, but we need to look at, assume that everybody has some ideal or goal that they can reach and raise them up to that level. Mm-hmm. And so expectations are important. So the educational level, we should set high expectations in education for all people with disabilities.
0: In communicating
1: that back, um, I feel like there would be two points there, the parents
0: of creating that expectation at home, but also the, the teachers in the classroom. And Absolutely. you guys kind of
1: go through both of those. Absolutely, and the, the teachers are essential, and so making sure that they have the resources they need to be able to do that and the training. So we do, do a lot of awareness and technical assistance in our school systems. And, and I have the opportunity to work with uh, Gina Winter at the Parent Training and uh, Institute, which is a federally funded program um, that, that works with school systems that educates uh, teacher, that educates uh, parents, about their rights under the under the um, Individuals Disabilities Education Act. I'm thinking about all these laws in my yes, head, sir. <laughs> and I don't want to get too. even though I'm a lawyer, I don't want to get down in the weeds of laws. Other than to say that that's an important law, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. We provide technical assistance on it. So does the Parent Training uh, Education Center, the uh, PTI for the state, run by Gina, Executive Director Gina Winter. So.
0: Yes, sir. And we've had the opportunity to have um, Mrs. Winter um, spend some time with us. Um, <clears throat> Kim Spangler in the chat says, "Graham, we agree education is a great equalizer. Families in our shoes need education too. Have you worked with partners in policy
1: making, and what are your thoughts in getting it back in our state?" That's a great question. Again, and I can't bind the Department of Mental Health or the um, or the Alabama Council Development of Developmental Disabilities, but. I think uh, partners in policy making of Alabama is is an outstanding program. It helps build advocates and it gives training to people and families and individuals with developmental disabilities to make them you know leaders and make them better advocates. And so I support it. Mm-hmm. me individually, Graham and I can't talk for the for the governor, okay, but me individually having, done some training with partner. I did not go through the program, but I know many people that did, and I knew some of the people that started that program in Alabama that developed it from other st- states. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great program, and I support it I've individually, never, yes.
0: I've never been a part of it, um, and I know it was here a few years ago in the past, but uh, the feedback we get from the community and questions we have seem like it is gaining a, a more momentum, and it may
1: be in the state in the future here. Uh, and every time we talk about it, it seems to be a positive thing. Right. And the idea is that we want everybody to be an advocate for disability issues. Mm. Not just people with disabilities, but people with disabilities need to be better. They need to continue to be strong self-advocates. And parents and families are awesome advocates too. We need to bolster them. And I think Partners in Policymaking would do that. Mm. But. You can be a person without a disability. That's not even a family member of a person with disability. I say to you, come and be an advocate with us too. Advocate for us, help us advocate, help us bring. The more awareness we get out there on disability, the better. Mm -hmm. People are afraid of things they don't understand and the stereotypes arise. And we need to limit stereotypes and fear and myths about people with disabilities. We've had um, the opportunity to speak with some business owners and restaurant owners um,
0: that have a significant portion of people with a disability hired at some stores and they said kind of along the same lines there is a lot of times if you don't know something you're unsure of it but Mm -hmm. that when the new employees came on the total atmosphere in these restaurants and businesses was changed. It went from more of a business or whether that was food to more of a family. Uh, type of atmosphere and just to watch how that went over the entire culture of the business. Um, I think if we expand that to society at large, it has great
1: many benefits. Right. It used to be when I was first injured back in the 80s, which weren't that long ago, I'm just kidding, of course, um, you didn't see as many people with disabilities out and about. But the more we remove the barriers, the more people with disabilities. We're talking about not just physical disabilities because some people may think that because i use a wheelchair i'm just focused on wheelchair users no i'm focused on all disabilities mental and physical and i think we lift up one part we lift everybody up so a rising tide lifts all boats right i like that
0: now the education that, that's that, an original thought
1: too by the way I'm just <laughs> quoting dr says <Susan> here <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, uh, you just spoke about education, and education is one of the, f- of the many that you guys focus on. But the next one kind of goes along with that. With education brings employment. Right. And that's another focus for what you.
1: What I call the other great equalizer is, um, is, a, is employment. Um, employment is a necessary, I think, to live the American dream. You meet a lot of people, make a lot of connections through employment, and it also provides you with a paycheck. I mean, the paycheck's not the por- most important thing in a job, but it certainly helps. It, it, that's what I always say. You, you wouldn't do it without the paycheck. I mean, some people, oh, I'd do this, and so you wouldn't have to pay me. I don't think you would find many people who would say that. For but very long. For very long. And I think uh, employment is so important in, in helping people achieve that American dream, you know, owning your own home, transportation, you know, vacations, you know, for some people getting married and having a family, all those things, employment is one of the foundations for that also. So I think employment is truly a great equalizer and we work with different entities on, of course, the Alabama Park Rehabilitation Services, Vocational Rehabilitation Services Program, and I know that the Department of Health as an initiative, uh, employment first, and I know vocational rehab has worked with that. Idea, if y'all haven't heard of employment first, the idea is that to create higher expectations for people with disabilities, think about employment first before you think about putting somebody necessarily in a day habilitation program. Now some people that may be where they want to go. All these things also hinge on choice Mm. for people with disabilities. Choice is very important. Mm. What does the individual with a disability want? You've heard of self-determination? Yes, sir. This is key. And I know Partners in Policymaking, one of the things they stress, they did before in the past, was the idea of self-determination. And so does vocational rehab. You know, an individual makes the major decisions in their life. And, and I know that uh, Kim Spangler, again, if I, if I digress to in the weeds the for many people with very significant disabilities, something called dis- support decision making, mm-hmm. where they build a team and that team helps them make these decisions in their life mm-hmm. and they get control back over their lives.
0: Yeah, and I, I've seen it. Uh, I'm part of a provider that provides care and we see it um, through the home and community based services and the person-centered planning. and. Um, it you know the 310 boards and how they're being retrained on designing that person-centered plan from the individual's choice and if the individual has trouble communicating what they want making sure they have that team there that can help them and i feel like we're all kind of hitting this from a lot of different sides and it's exciting to see from both an inside and outside perspective of what's going to come out of this in the next two five ten years uh, and how that'll affect you know, the community, but
1: also our, uh, the society at large there. It's a very exciting time. I think it's excellent. I mean, it's what we've been preaching for years. Mm-hmm. I preach a lot. I'm not a preacher, but I've, I'm I'm not a, um, as a, as I told you before, I have a lifetime membership in this club. And so it's very close to me. I live it every day. And so I I I can empathize and understand the difficulties that folks face. Mm -hmm.
0: Along with the employment, you touched on something that uh, going to work and having those connections with other people is so good for mental health, I I think. Getting out and having those friends. um, Having a purpose, something to wake up and go, and that you're going to be challenged at and overcome. Uh, gives you a sense of fulfillment, uh, and then the paycheck always helps as well uh, with that fulfillment. But a lot of the other things that we all strive for and want, and want for our family members, like you know being in relationships or having consistent housing, come from being able to support yourself and provide. That's right. That's um, right. And another thing, so once you have the employment,
1: another thing that you guys focus on is, you know, finding uh, long-term housing. That's right, a place to live. And that's a real crisis is what we call accessible, affordable housing. I know when I, when I, when I got my first job in 1990, and I went out there looking uh, for an apartment, I couldn't find many apartments that were accessible, even though we had something called the Fair Housing Act that was amended in 1988 to prohibit discrimination based on disability in housing. And it mandated that housing, that apartments, with four more units in each building, meet seven technical requirements. And part of those seven technical requirements is you know, accessible doorways, accessible bathrooms, and kitchens. And I remember my first apartment, I had to take the door off the bathroom to be able to get into the bathroom. And uh, and also had, to, it had this tub, and I couldn't get in the tub. So what I did, I took a shower bench and part of it was sticking out. So I had you pull the shower curtain around and put towels on the floor to take the water up. So you have to be clean if you want to be successful uh, too. And so part of daily hygiene is essential for everybody. And so making that apartment accessible. And so I've kind of lived over the years with what I call halfway accessibility. And now I've been in the same house myself for uh, over 26 years that's amazing and I've made it more accessible and it what it's not the best accessibility but it works okay it's not the um, but it was a 1950s ranch house that I was able to convert and I built a, a guest house behind it that I put an elevator in to provide greater accessibility so and that that's having saved up money over the years to be able to do that so Part of the american dream is debt so you get into that to further your dreams too everybody everybody (laughs) understands that if you weren't born with a a trust fund you understand what debt is so um, but anyway getting back to why housing is so important Um, we have worked um, we've educated people a lot about the rights under the fair housing act and how to and how to get their rights and i've worked I have the chance to work with the Fair Housing Center of North Alabama. We have a series of Fair Housing Centers that help people advocate for their rights Mm. under Fair Housing. So, um, and then also, we used to have something called Housing Search Alabama, where it was like a clearinghouse for accessible apartments in Alabama, but it was funded by a grant, and that grant ran out so we don't have it anymore. Mm. And that was a way, and we have the Housing Finance Authority that helps people with, that can help people with down payments and stuff that we're working with. So um, housing is still a big area. There's also something called low-income housing um, coalition of Alabama or LICA. And LICA helped create something in the legislature called the uh, Housing Trust Fund. And the Housing Trust Fund, I think, will provide monies and stuff, but the, there's one problem with the Housing Trust Fund right now. There's not a source of money for it there's no money in it yet so no. we're working on that too so there's lots to be done in housing but education um, the uh, HUD that housing urban development the federal level has done more enforcement now of the uh, of the Fair Housing Act with respect to disability so we're beginning to slowly see a change but you just can't go to an apartment and think there's going to be automatic accessible and you got condominiums there's a lot of issues probably more time we've got uh, to discuss it here today, but certainly, if anybody has any questions about that, I would certainly glad to entertain those.
0: Yeah, and we'll go ahead and put um, your office phone, if that's okay, in the chat, so anybody be Absolutely. able to contact you there. As you go through this, uh, what you were just saying there, I imagine, and we kind of touched on it before, but if you were to go to uh, a community and say, "Hey, you know, how can I, how can we better serve you?" and they said housing, well, it's not necessarily like you're going to go to the department or the governor and say, "Okay, we need to give." Um, Alex, uh, you know, new housing developments or something like that, but it's building the policies um, that it long-term serves the community as a whole there. But there could be, it, I sometimes feel like there's a disconnect from when the policy is made or, or it's made available to when the community or the individual or the family understands what it is and gets access to it. And that's a whole process there for them that could take some time.
1: That's right. And there's things, uh, there's something we worked on in the City of Birmingham called visitability. So let's say you have an accessible housing and you live in a neighborhood but you want to be this is pre-COVID obviously but eventually COVID will will uh, will settle that. You want to visit your neighbors in your neighborhood but you can't visit them because none of their houses are accessible. There's something called visitability uh, which is thing to encourage that housings be that houses be built with one no-step entrance, wider doorways on the ground floor, an accessible bathroom on the ground floor. And it's also important too, because eventually if you live long enough, the greatest risk factor for disability is age. You acquire disability. People will live in these houses where the bedroom's up on the third floor and it's only stairs going up to it. They have a stroke, they can no longer get up the stairs. They lose their house, they have to move somewhere, That's spend a great deal of money to make it accessible. Now, if you built the house visitable, mm-hmm. it would allow people to age in place in their homes. Mm-hmm. So that's another aspect that we're working on too, is to encourage uh, local ordin- local uh, governments to change their ordinance to encourage visitability, to, to, you know, to, to have any housing built with state or local money be made visitable
0: and that um, you had touched on this before is being at the table and that means being at the table of in the planning process so that's that right. you, you know after the house has been built for 20 years you don't have to go back and redesign the interior
1: okay. well there's something called also nothing about us without us mm. and that's being at the table and certainly who knows the most about disability the person with a disability and their family so they should be consulted and what I try to do is to try to open up pathways for people with disabilities to be at the table or try to be at the table representing, as a fellow person with a disability, other people with disabilities.
0: And it makes sense if you look at the population. If there are citywide planning or statewide planning going on, a certain percentage of Alabamians have a disability or they're family members of somebody, they should be at that table because they are part of the population. Yeah, absolutely. They should absolutely. be represented. Um, and when you were talking about accommodations in the house, my I uh, have some family up north in Pennsylvania and they kind of redesigned their house. They bought a, a new house and kind of gutted it. But uh, I was talking with my dad about that and he goes, you know, I don't want to be in a nursing home long ter- term. Mm-hmm. I would like to be served here in this house. That's right. And so he made sure that, you know, the stairways were wider so there could be a chairlift eventually. And he's 58 now. Um, but he made sure that the bathroom doors were wider, there was a walk-in,
1: you know, those types of things. So thinking long-term about that. Think one level house, okay? Mm. And you can make one level houses. You can have a house that's not on a slab. There was an organization in Atlanta called Concrete Change. And their idea, they came up with this idea of visitability. And I don't know if it still be, but you used to be able to go to concretechange.org or .com to see that. And uh, part of that was they, they actually had plans where you could have a, a no-step house and still have it on a foundation without you know without a slab. So there's ways to do it. Accessibility doesn't have to be ugly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I've got ramps around my house, but you can't even see them from the street. Mm-hmm. And I've got a sidewalk that's poured straight up to my front door. It's a ramp, but you can't tell it is. Yeah, it's into the surroundings and into the
0: environment very natural accessibility
1: look. is beautiful yeah i like
0: that accessibility is beautiful that sounds like a really good tagline for like a media campaign and maybe we could get uber in on that sure yeah you know, something like that um along with housing you know getting to the houses or getting to work getting to the employment is, is transportation is a really big hot topic
1: yeah and transportation in survey after survey and we, when we've done that comprehensive statewide needs assessment every three years it pops up in the top five in some cases it top pops up as the number one unmet need of people with disabilities and that's in general terms but the in alabama there is a sticking point to funding a public transit and i'm distinguishing transit from transportation other people think transportation also means roads and bridges which roads and bridges are very important. I am not downgrading those at all, but the Alabama's constitution does not allow state dollars to be spent on public transit, particularly uh, gasoline taxes. Sure. And so the problem with that is you need most of the money in public transportation is in federal dollars. You need a state match to get federal dollars. The city of Birmingham, and I don't know how long ago it was, but You know, I told you the 80s weren't that long ago. It was much more after that, okay. But maybe, maybe the early 2000s, our our Senator Richard Shelby had secured $87.7 million for the city of Birmingham to use on public transit. But the city of Birmingham could not get the local match, and the money went to Charlotte. And that's played over and over again. And I've talked to transportation director after transportation director. Used to be called the Highway Commission, now it's the Alabama Department of Transportation, and I've been told it's a local issue. And they're correct, it is a local issue because of our Constitution. So it's it has to be tough then to get all of these local
0: areas together, because I imagine there being a you know, high-speed train from Mobile through Montgomery to- I would love that. To Birmingham and up to
1: Huntsville. Yeah, or up to Muscle Shoals, where I grew up in Sheffield. Yes. Yeah,
0: it just makes sense. I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and I see the train system there, and I lived in Phoenix, and there's one there. And um, But I don't know what their state laws are, so it is. it could
1: be a little bit different here where you have to really get everybody moving in the same direction to pass that. It is, and I've been on more blue-ribbon fact-finding commissions on transportation. Uh, I've seen more studies get put up on a shelf gathering dust. Yeah. I just think... That needs to be worked out somehow, and and right now the I would conter, I would encourage people to talk to their legislators who who I work with legislators all the time. They're not bad folks. They're looking for the input, but you need to be positive with them, and that that'll be a later part of my uh, my talk. I I segue in, but you know I'm doing some foreshadowing here. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, With the transportation, how do you feel about some of these new services that have been popping up like Uber um, or ride-sharing things? I think they're great. They open up to a lot of people, but for a lot of people with physical disabilities, a lot of uh, Uber divers may not want to pick somebody up using a wheelchair because they don't want to fool with a wheelchair. And some do. It just depends. There's been discrimination against people with disabilities, including blind folks. Um, and so Uber, there, I know there's lawsuits out in California, but the question is, is Uber covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act? Because what Uber's saying, look, we don't actually provide the transportation, we're just a platform, we're an internet platform to connect drivers and riders. But, yeah. but I think the courts are finding that Uber is covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act. So mm. there just needs to be more infrastructure. And plus, if you need a lift on a vehicle, and you can't transfer and I used to be able to transfer in out of a lot more cars myself but you know almost 40 years of using wheelchair the old shoulders are starting to feel a little bit they're starting to groan a little bit more when I you know and, and I'm probably not as light as felt as I used to be when I was in my 20s so. I'm the same way
0: my shoulders are shot and especially during the last year I've gained some light so, um. We have a question here about education that I'd like to go back to really quick before we keep moving on. Sure. <clears throat> Rita B. Patton says, I work with high school students and at one time, vocational rehab provided paid
1: work experience for my students. Is there any chance this opportunity could return? And I think, I can't really speak on behalf of vocational rehab, but I think they are trying to, They that is one of the things they're, uh, I think they call it work-based education. Uh, there's different words. We used to call it uh, paid work spent experience or PWE, but now it's called work-based uh, experience or education. And I think they are working towards bringing that back. Yes.
0: So hopefully, Mrs. Patton, that will come out um, in the next year or so.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and there's of course COVID stuff has to be taken into into account there. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And hopefully, we'll be past that, and then half a year at the most. Yeah absolutely so. That's, nice. Um, another one of the topics that um, governor's office on disability really focuses on is health care. If you would take us through that.
1: Well I think some of the issues on health care for a lot of people with disabilities is access. So let's say you have the insurance. Insurance is a whole nother issue in Medicaid and whether or not you know you're covered Um, but assuming you have insurance, you have a way to pay for it, is getting there. Hmm. Can you get there? Do you have the transportation to get there? So assuming that you got the transportation to get there, once you get there, can you actually get into the building where the doctor's office is? Can you actually, and then once you get in the doctor's office, can you utilize the equipment? A lot of examination tables, if you can't stand up or you can't move up and down, you'll have trouble even accessing that and even some people, the scales aren't accessible. Very few places have accessible scales, so diagnostic equipment, medical diagnostic equipment, one time they had some standards for that, but they they roll back reg- regulatory making, so I don't know where those are at this point. Mm-hmm. Way to make like, if you had to have an MRI, how would you get on and off the uh, machine? Then let's say that you couldn't communicate well because you had you were born deaf and you, your only language you knew was American Sign Language, is that doctor gonna provide you with American Sign Language interpreter, which they would be required to do under the ADA in most cases. Yeah. And some say it's too expensive, but you know, I think it's, if you wanna be accurate and you want to avoid liability, good, accurate communication is necessary. So those are some of the things we're working on are educating businesses, particularly doctor's offices and other healthcare providers On what the what their rights, what what their responsibilities are under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I surveyed quite a few buildings in the state of Alabama for accessibility, and I don't charge anything. But what I do is I say this is non-binding, but here's what you need to do to make your place accessible, and so we've tried to do that, particularly in that. You know, I think we had some. I always forget, but they're federally funded uh, healthcare providers, there's, um, and we've tried to, we developed a survey to, to accessibility survey to be used to to act, to to measure accessibility at those facilities. So, we've been working on some areas uh, to try to get healthcare, but healthcare, there's also issues around, let's say that you're a child with a disability, and so you had a pediatrician, how do you make the jump from the pediatrician to the adult world once you hit age 21 beyond.
0: I've heard there's some really good things happening at, at Children's of Alabama that are starting to form around that transition. Uh, yes. <clears throat> that are, we're not talking about yet, but hopefully we will be doing broadcast about that in the future. Um, so I feel like we're starting to make some headway in those in those points.
1: That's good, yeah. I think things are getting better. Mm-hmm. It's like we've come a long way we still have a long way to go, yeah, as you hear, and, and that's a typical answer, but it's true in the civil rights arena, and it especially holds true for people with disabilities.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, civil rights have been around for 60 years now, 50 yeah, years? Yeah,
1: 64, so. yeah. Civil Rights Act 964 is when, but for the ADA, over 30 years in 1990, and if you consider the Rehabilitation Act nineteen seventy-three, even longer. Yeah. So... We you see. know what the first disability rights law was there's a quiz here okay you must you must answer correctly
0: i am going to say it has something to do with blind
1: no but close it's close but it was the architectural barriers act in 1968 which required that barriers be removed in in buildings built with federal money that's first one i can track then you started seeing these others now
0: yeah and that, I imagine that would go into effect uh, immediately with like libraries, um, stuff like Post that. Post
1: offices, but even some of those, do you know which entity is in charge for enforcing that? Do you file complaints with? The Access Board. A lot of people don't know that.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that.
1: So that's, and that's something my office can also do is help get people in touch with the correct entity to get to get complaints hopefully resolved.
0: Now, you mentioned that you were able to go in and spend some time helping uh, organizations, you know, assess their accessibility. What has been the feedback from those organizations? Do they, co- you know, come on in for all years?
1: It's been, a lot of them have sought me out, because we have, we have something on the good website saying that we, we can provide those services. Uh, but a lot of them, it's been very favorable, actually, Yeah. because what, what we... Own, this is another phrase i didn't come up with we've got a lot of phrase here so you need to remember all these phrases particularly everybody watch another one is uh, good access is good business so it's a win-win like a used car except even better okay it's a win-win situation if the business becomes more accessible they get more customers i like that they'll make more money
0: and it doesn't necessarily have to just apply for a
1: brick and mortar store but if you look at a website that's one thing I got on my list to talk about. <laughs> it's another foreshadowing. <laughs> okay. um, let's, there's another
0: point here of leisure that you um, really focus on, and that's right. not something that I see talked about very often.
1: Well, it, it's just as important because you've heard the saying, all work and no play makes Jack or Jill a dull person. See how I changed it around a little bit? Yeah. To keep with the times there. But, <laughs> but basically, so you get a job and you make all that money, you want to have some fun. You have, to, you have to to be well-balanced, you must engage in recreation or leisure. And so um, I've worked quite a bit with our state park system under the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. They've been very open. You know, and, and since they had a constitutional amendment that allowed them to keep their own money that they make from their parks and from the, they now are putting more of that money into making their places more accessible. Um, So we also encourage any other place Six Flags, you know, uh, the water park in in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. I'm not advertising any, but I'm saying all those have accessibility requirements. You know, the the ADA uh, guidelines were amended in 2010 to include recreational uh, access uh, guidelines. So there's a lot going on in the area. A lot of people don't think, but um, I took a trip to Scotland. To Scotland? Scotland. My my twin brother took me there. Okay. How was that? It was awesome. It was a, it, it, I went back to my roots. Yeah. That's a, I have a Scottish ancestry and um, Scotland had a lot of good accessibility. I went to the Stirling Castle where William Wallace fought and I got up in the castle and saw the fine tapestries and everything. It, it was amazing. They. They Had quite a bit of accessibility. They had they had their own accessibility standards, and it was a little different. The toilets were shaped differently, but they were higher. The sinks were a different shape, but they were lower, so you could get under them. And the, they had accessibility, and I was I was impressed with the level of accessibility for you know a civilization that's older than what we have here in this country.
0: Yeah, um, for anyone that doesn't know the name William Wallace
1: Braveheart. Yes. The story of Braveheart. And, yeah, and that's that statue to Robert the Bruce too. So
0: Yes. Um, speaking about, or, or I'll go back to leisure. I feel like that isn't necessarily at the forefront of a lot of discussions that we have um, down in Montgomery or kind of those things. But it's so important. I mean, you work yeah, and you're doing all of these things and you have to have a release. You have to have enjoyment in your life. And I feel like sometimes, you know, you, I, heard, I read somewhere that the happiest years of your life are like 75 to 80. It's when you're done, you've, you've you know, done whatever you wanted to do, and you just get to relax. Um, but we, should, we shouldn't wait
1: until 75 to 80 to really enjoy that. No, I'm not going to. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't advise waiting. Do now. Don't mm-hmm. put everything in the future. Do now what you can. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other countries, have there been other countries you've been to other than Scotland? I have been to Mexico, to Cozumel, and I've been to the Bahamas, and I've been to the Cayman Islands. So, so far, I'm just now branching out. That was my first trip taking an eight-hour flight, <laughs> and there there's issues with accessibility of airplanes. Mm. Now, could you take an eight-hour flight without going to the bathroom? No, I couldn't. I did. That would be tough. It was tough. So. I made sure where the bathroom was when we landed, and it was okay. But, but they don't have accessibility on airplanes yet in bathrooms, for for somebody just to get in. They some they can put you on a little cart and bring you in there, but it's not really accessible. So, um, we have a long way to go with technology still. Mm-hmm. But, I challenge the airlines to become more accessible and to be more inviting to everybody. They've made strides. The Air Carriers Access Act of 1986 helped them do that. Mm-hmm. But I encourage them to keep on looking for a technological solution where somebody in a wheelchair can just go on an airplane and sit in there, stay in their chair, bolted down, you know, secure it in without even having to get out of their chair yeah. if they didn't want to. Mm-hmm
0: um are there how do you feel like america united states of america kind of compares to other nations when it comes to accessibility or disability in general is there anyone that we want want to kind of pull from for inspiration or do you think others really look to us for inspiration
1: i think it's probably both ways it cuts both ways Um, i think we have made great strides in this country but our european partners have done a lot to promote accessibility too Mm. so I think we can learn from each other. There's a convention on the civil rights of people with disabilities that I don't know if the United States is yet a signatory to that. There was some misinformation about it, but basically I think it would promote the Americans with Disabilities Act on a worldwide basis that we would have that, those requirements in other countries. Uh, in this country. So in, there's some difference in that. It's a little bit more t- tactical than that. So if somebody say, wait a minute, there's this provision, I realize that I'm saying that in general terms.
0: Yeah. Uh, it makes sense when we hear about all these um, international dealings or agreements. Um, and then the captions, you know, captions are pretty international, we have standards for captions. Right. hear about peace treaties or green new deals taking place and whether you agree or disagree with that, I feel like the uh, Disabilities Act is pretty... You know, international, and uh, you know, there's no reason not to have every uh, country signing onto those those yeah. standards.
1: I heard Ireland's pretty accessible. So you yeah. keep throwing out these cool countries. See, I'm, I'm like, i to don't don't go. That's my next. That's on the next wish list. I've been saving my pennies up to go to Ireland. So. Yeah, I've uh, I've never been. I've I've seen movies. I've seen pictures. I haven't either, but I've heard from two people that went there that there's it. There's better accessibility than you would think. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, as we've gone through this time in the last year, year and a half has been different. It's been very challenging for a lot of people during this COVID. Of the, um, the areas here that we kind of focused on education, employment, housing, transportation, healthcare, and leisure, is there been one that has really taken a hit or kind of been a hot point during this last COVID pandemic?
1: Well, I think one thing, and again, this is not to berate any of the folks in charge of this. Believe me, because I work with all these folks, but I think the COVID vaccination has been very challenging because of the supply issue Mm -hmm. and because of the Alabama doesn't have all the infrastructure. We're still working on building the infrastructure, but I've been working, trying to get people with disabilities moved up to to an earlier phase in implementation there's something called pods you know what pods are i'm unfamiliar i didn't with know what pods were either Steve. because there's so many abbreviations in, a, in this uh in this field it's point of distribution the pods for vaccination the point of distribution are they accessible in other words would they let somebody that couldn't drive just walk up mm-hmm. or do they have communications access for people who are deaf mm-hmm. you know, will they have interpreters um is the information they give out accessible in an accessible format. So there's, there's different po- pods issues in the vaccinations. And we're here as a resource to help to try to think things more accessible. So it's not to, to point fingers at anybody. Is uh, It's better to be a part of the solution than the problem. Yeah. And our motto is we're gonna be a part of the solution, not the problem. If we make an issue about something, we wanna be there to provide the technical assistance To try to help you become more accessible so and it's all about awareness that's the part where people with disabilities at the earliest planning stages possible need to be at the table yeah it's like when the state of alabama is talking about the distribution for the COVID vaccine you need to be there and and be represented and that's right and it's not again i'm not pointing fingers at anybody i always look forward and not backwards Mm -hmm. so I'm going to take a second here and acknowledge chat.
0: Um, Sharon Glenn Henderson, <clears throat> she was talking about the transportation and some Uber, Uber and Lyft. Uh, I drive Uber and Lyft uh, and pick up uh, individuals with disabilities. The problem is not the problem is not having accessible vehicles. So that's what
1: I was talking about before, mm-hmm. the accessibility, the lifts, in the that's right. And again, I wasn't trying to to badmouth all Uber and Lyft drivers. But there have been issues with some drivers. So that's good to hear, Sharon, that you are welcoming and inviting to people with disabilities. So thank you, Sharon. And uh, Judy N. Williams says, Janie Gable
0: Curtis, Graham Sisson is on board. Uh, she was tagging Janie Gable Curtis. She says, Graham Sisson is on board at Camp
1: ASCA, ASCCA. That's right. I'm, on, I'm the board chair of uh, Camp ASCA, yes. She says, I believe he is chairman. Great guy. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you humble me. Thank you. What exactly
0: is ASCCA, ASCA?
1: It is an accessible, it used to be called Alabama Special Camp for Children and Adults with Disabilities. We don't really like the word special, so we just call it Camp ASCA. It's kind of like the ARC. The ARC used to be the Association for Retarded Citizens. We never, ever use the word retarded. Okay, never. And so we call that the ARC now. Same with Camp ASCA, but it is an awesome, accessible camp. Uh, John Stevenson is the administrator there has done a fantastic job it is a model of accessibility for outdoor camping experience for people of all types of disabilities and if you people with disabilities still need to have an adrenaline rush Mm. and so if you're a person with disability you need adrenaline rush get them to put you on the zip line the one that's 50 (laughs) feet up in the air I did that they pushed me over. It was over in 30 seconds, but boy, it wasn't a adrenaline rush. It was I, awesome. Count me out. Anything to do with heights, and I am not going to be a part of it. But, I mean, they have boating experiences. They got paved trails. They, um, they got an indoor basketball court. They got an accessible pool. At Camp Aska is where I learned, where I got the bug for scuba diving. I put on scuba dive equipment at Camp Aska in their pool and it was awesome we're going to talk a little bit about that later okay. i want to know more okay about more foreshadowing yes exactly <laughs>
0: um i would like to ask and you've worked in the community for um about 30 years is that correct and are there anything or any specific highlights or accomplishments that you've been a part of uh, that well, you've seen happen in the community well
1: There's many that are hard to measure because when I was talking about incrementalism before, Mm -hmm. it takes a while to implement policy and stuff, but but a lot of what I get, folks call me, they need help, they can't reach anybody, they need somebody to listen to them, Mm -hmm. we listen to them and we get them to the right people, and in many cases, they get their situation resolved. So I consider those highlights, Mm -hmm. Uh, but here's one I'll give you, a good concrete example. I like to talk in a lot of abstract, but I also like concrete. And one is Vulcan. You defer to Vulcan, right? He's the Iron Man. sits on top of the hill in Birmingham. Um, well, Bill Vulcan was—he's the world's largest Iron Man. He was put up there in 1938 on that pedestal. Well, in the 70s, they thought, hey, let's give access to people with disabilities. So they put an elevator in. You know, a lot of the buildings in the 1970s were just ugly. And again, and the clothes weren't that cool either, okay? <laughs> Maybe some people thought they some were, bell but, bottoms, but <laughs> I hated bell-bottoms because I tripped on them, okay, before I was <laughs> They tried to make a comeback with Jayco jeans about it. They are, don't, don't, don't buy into it. Stick <laughs> with straight leg, man. Stick with straight leg, okay? So, so anyway, Vulcan, so what they did, there was a group of people that wanted to restore Vulcan back to the way it looked in 1938. So they took the elevator down, they removed all the stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute, I will never stand for people to remove accessible features. But it wasn't working, it still needed to be repaired. Mm -hmm. They they took it down, we said, wait, you can't do that. They said, but the ADA protects that. We said, no, and that's where I came in. And I said, well, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act protects historical preservation, keeping something in its original condition but the original condition of Vulcan was already changed in the 70s when you put the elevator in, therefore you cannot take the elevator out. They did, but we came with a compromise. So that's where a group of other folks, including uh, the architect that I work a lot with, and again, I'm not plugging for other people, but I like to point out folks that are, are good at what they do is Bill Hecker. And Bill Hecker came up with this idea to put the elevator behind Vulcan. So when you look at it from, night, from downtown Birmingham up there, it looks like it did in 1938, because you can't see the elevator. But everybody gets to use the elevator. And I've been up there, and I've only seen two or three people use the stairs, the hundred-something steps go up there. Most people use the elevator.
0: And, I think and you that- get
1: up there on that catwalk, I went up in there, I even jumped up and down in my chair to show people how sturdy it is. It's not falling down, so it's safe. <laughs> a great view, great experience. That is an example of where we use effective advocacy. We didn't sue anybody. We told them why it was a good idea. We came out with a solution that worked for everybody. Everybody's happy.
0: I really love that example because it, it seems almost like a misunderstanding or, or not thinking thoroughly about it from the other
1: perspective.
0: <clears throat> and it's not like coming at them, attacking them. No. But just no. sitting down at a table.
1: We wanted access, and a lot of people came together. Uh, the independent living centers, you know, the disability rights and resources down Birmingham. Uh, my friend Dan Kessler and his group were very effective advocates in that too. We all worked together. It wasn't just you talking about coalitions coming together. A lot of coalitions came together to come up with a with an effective um, solution. So that was where people weren't just part of the problem, they were part of the solution. That's another good example of that. So um, think what else, some legislation that I've helped on over the years. And one thing that I love to talk about, that and I'm not gonna go on a tangent, but accessible parking. We don't call it handicapped parking, we call it accessible parking. So you have the money to spend. You can get to the store. But you can't park anywhere because it's not accessible mm. and you can't even get out of your car. So we've done over the years to, to strengthen the accessible parking laws. Um, and and we, we, we did a bill on the, we got a legislation passed, the uh, Lemon Law for for Assistive Technology. So let's say you bought a $25,000 wheelchair, which is your typical for an electric wheelchair, what it costs, and it didn't work. Mm. What could you do? Quit working after the first year you got it. The lemon law helps in that area
0: now what exactly does that do because that's a big investment in for it to not right
1: but but a lemon law what it would do would give the manufacturer a chance to go back and to uh, fix it and if mm-hmm. they didn't fix it, it will provide damages gotcha basically uh, it's like the lemon law for for automobiles mm-hmm. if you've ever had a lemon car which I've had a few over the years I learned I learned a lot about car engines you know <laughs> from because I had just about every problem that could happen in Couple cars that I've owned over the years. So. I usually just turn up my radio if I hear something. Or you, you never look at the check engine light. You, you <laughs> ignore like Sheldon on Big Bang. You no, no, or like Penny on Big Bang. You you uh, you ignore the check engine light.
0: Um, the uh, accessible parking has been a big uh, issue and. Um, Sarah Williams, who's done some broadcasts uh, by herself, yes, uh, yes, spoke about that with Courtney Adams, and um, you know whether that's out the side of the vehicle or out the back of the vehicle it can be very frustrating for them. as I've I've listened into their broadcast mm-hmm. of <clears throat> is there enough room
1: there or is it
0: even safe to come well, out the
1: back? Well, the access aisle, the part of the space that the wheelchair lift comes on, or that I bring a wheelchair. A lot of times police are saying well we can't really ticket somebody parking on there because it's not a, it's not the parking space hmm. we had law passed that define what an access aisle is and saying that police can ticket hmm. so if any police tells you can't call me I'll print the code section I'll mail it to you or I'll send it to your fax to you. Or email it to you whatever where you can bring it to the police and say here it is
0: you do a quick email real quick screenshot of it absolutely um, and then what is something that you're currently working on
1: well a uh, few things that we're currently working on i told you the vaccination but something else we've had a lot of natural disasters and emergencies um, i am honored to be uh, chair of the functional access needs and disaster task force and i work with uh, my co-chair is gretchen richards who's very more knowledgeable than i on emergencies but I, i've I've come to know some over the years. I think I've been working with FANDI, I would say almost a decade, maybe I exaggerate a little bit, but for a fairly long time, and we try to there increase uh, better access, better services for people with disabilities at all levels. All the way from preparedness to recovery, to res- from fairness, response, recovery, and mitigation. So. Um, that's something I'm working on and something for the future. Okay. Now, nobody steal my idea because I'm putting my hat in the ring for this right now. Okay, yes, sir. Is um, I want to do a disability policy summit for Alabama.
0: Tell us more about that.
1: Well, I mean, better policies, you know, in different areas. Remember all those areas in those uh, that we mentioned in our misstatement housing? Um, employment, education, you know, leisure, all those things, transportation, getting better policy around those issues. Mm.
0: Now that summit, would that be for legislators or individuals? It would be for
1: everybody. Mm.
0: I think that's a great thing to get everybody in the same room. If we could almost require, oh this would be really cool, if we could require legislators before they got voted into office that they had to go through the summit.
1: That would be nice, but I don't know if I have that power. So (laughs) I would make it as a strong suggestion. Yeah. I mean that and and, and I'm here. I want to partner with people. And it's like you say when somebody said, Well, don't do it because I tell you that you should do it. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. All this stuff, people with disabilities, their needs, it's the right thing to do. I think And I may be a little biased on that, but I swear I'm telling the truth.
0: In every example that I've ever heard or been a part of, um, advocacy and change in a positive light for the disability community, affects everybody involved in that decision making and the outcome in a positive way. Yes. And it just makes sense. It's like a chain reaction. Absolutely. And speaking about the policy making, what is the Governor's Office on Disabilities role in the legislative session that we're in right now?
1: Well, what we do is we track legislation and we make people aware of different legislation that affects people with disabilities. And then we also, in some cases, we try to help uh, get in re- legislation introduced. We do not do any lobbying. I'm going to say that for the record right now. We do not do lobbying. We educate and we inform. Um, and and I've got I've got a permission to go down there. I've got a card from the issued from the from the ethics commission to go down there and ed- inform folks. But we might attend public hearings, you know, give information on different bills and stuff. But I think there's some really good legislation that we track. We try to get let people know about it so they can support it. And there's some legislation that's concerning that we inform people about so that they can, they can contact their legislators. Um, Is there an example, uh, one of each, that comes to mind? Well, let me think. I didn't bring all the bill numbers with me, but there – there's legislation that, let's say, the Epilepsy Foundation is uh, is uh, supporting, and it's a bill that would allow um, there to be education training in the school systems to keep people with seizure disorders in school. Yeah. It would also allow unlicensed personnel to administer um, epilepsy me- medication. Mm. That would be a big thing. I
0: know that's a big thing for families, uh, parents, when they think about that.
1: That's right. So this, that's a good, that's an example of a good piece of legislation. And I'm trying to think what other legislation. I wish I had brought my list, and I meant to bring it this morning. Perhaps I didn't have enough Mountain Dew before I came. But well, that we don't want to call anybody out if they're spearheading the bill. Uh, but anyway, there that's good piece, and there there's legislation that we're trying to get more information on. That would allow the police, if they noticed somebody had some type of behavior, to, to, put, to involuntarily commit them mm. if there was a mental illness issue and then allow it in the transport of that person, too. So we're working, seeing, again, not to cast aspersions on anybody, but that's one that concerns us.
0: I know that we have a uh, father in the community, uh, Mr. Dustin Chandler, uh, who has been a part of Carls. Great guy, no Dustin. And is part of Alabama Council on Developmental Disabilities as well. And we are going to be doing a broadcast with him on Thursday this week, uh, speaking about his uh, uh, interdisciplinary. uh, agency, I, I said that wrong. I apologize, Mr. Chandler. Um, but we're going to be speaking about uh, he's helping the relationships between law enforcement and firefighters and people that mm-hmm. have special needs and how to communicate and that's th- right. have better relationships. So I think that's those laws and those things going yeah. on there
1: because we see these things in the media. Can I, can I say one thing as a constructive criticism? Yes, sir. Let's not call them special needs. Yes, sir. Because they're, they're not special like everybody else has too and, and people really need them when you put special on there it reminds me of the eddie murphy skit on saturday night live you may not remember this one but it was in the early 80s and that was original cast he had a, a character called special k and was a, a person with mental disabilities And it wasn't exactly flattering to people with disabilities so i always think that when i want to use the word special i know we got to use special education because that's in the law but um if we can avoid special anytime when you refer to people with disability let's try to do that so yes, yeah not yelling at you no i appreciate uh, I'm that i'm just uh giving you some positive uh encouragement and reinforcement i appreciate that thank you um uh and i think he's doing great work there at that organization oh, yeah. in those policies. yeah we have a train that we developed too um that in partnership a lot of people call law enforcement disability <laughs> or lead where we used to go around the state, training state troopers and training other law enforcement about interacting with different disability populations. So, and that I would love to love to do anything with Dustin. You know, partner with them. Yeah, certainly, my office is available for that. I'm going to say something to him on Thursday. Yeah. All right.
0: All right. And and we I kind of mentioned media there. Um, what about the role of mainstream media
1: in how disability is viewed or advances in disability? I think that um, mainstream media is evolving with the way they're treating people with disability. We still have a long way to go because in many movies, if you look at a lot of movies, usually the, the villain has some type of disability, particularly in the James Bond movies. He had like Jaws, okay? He had the, he had the, uh, the metal teeth prosthetic. Hmm. You had the, the guy in the electric wheelchair. That he uh, he takes the helicopter and puts him in the wheelchair and drops him down that big smokestack I've had to seen see a, that, that I gotta that's like back. the spy love me but look at look at different movies and you'll see many of the villains are people with some type of disability I haven't noticed that until I mean you the see Game that. of Thrones uh, the person that of uh, short stature Tyrion hmm. Tyrion actually was one of the best characters on Game of Thrones and did a lot but Sometimes he was cast as a villain because of his disability, I think. So, uh, and of course, the, um, and this, this was kind of a, I had a mixed feelings on this one. The, the, the character that uh, he was a kid, he got thrown out of a window. Again, try not to be too much of a spoiler for people yeah, that may Yeah, for seen those Game that are looking
0: to watch Game of Thrones, you might want to mute it for the next right. minute or two. That's
1: right. So the Game of Thrones in Bran is thrown out the window and he's paralyzed, okay? but the, uh, they call him Bran the Broken. You're not broken because you have a disability, okay? You have a different way now to get around, and you have to use a lot more strategies and coping mechanism. but you can still be fully contributing, and you're not broken. But the good thing about Bran, he becomes king. He wins the Game of Thrones, except, again, spoiler alert, his sister Sansa gets to keep the northern kingdom. She becomes queen of the north. But Brand the Broken becomes, he wins the Game of Thrones. He didn't really want it. They said, do you need to do it? And he said, okay, I'll, I'll accept it if you, if you insist. So, yeah. so basically that was good in a way that they showed somebody, you know, but it reminds me of FDR. FDR was President of the United States. He had a disability, he was paralyzed, and he used crutches to get around, but he propped himself up behind podiums. They never sh- showed him in his wheelchair. Um, so unless you go to the monument, the, the FDR monument or memorial in DC is outstanding. You can see him. I've got a picture of me next to his wheelchair. He's got a gargantuan wheelchair, okay, because I'm a pretty tall guy myself, and I'm sitting next to him. You know, it, so they made a little bit, maybe a little bit bigger. So, uh, but anyway, I think the media perception. You're you beginning to see more people with disabilities in commercials in a positive way, and I think that's a good first step. Um, you want people in disabilities and positive and realistic. Now, there's all these movies about rise up and walk again. Like this guy, so-and-so bird, you know, he just had the gumption. He rose up and he walked again after being paralyzed. Well, there's different types of par- paralyzing and spinal cord injuries are all different. Some people have what's called an incomplete injury. And that means that it's not permanent. Mine, I got the good old, you know, garden variety permanent one. You know, I lucked out. So, so basically, uh, I'm not going to rise up and walk in. I'm not complaining, but a lot of people are looking at me. You just need more determination. Mm -hmm. You know, if you really just put your mind into it, you can definitely. Now, I have often used mind over matter to get over things. Okay, Uh, you know, I haven't levitated over tall buildings or anything, but I've used mind over matter when I have not felt well but still just pushed through it to get things done, and a lot of people with disabilities do that, so um, the rise up and walk again, good for him, but you know, that doesn't always happen. You know, because it happens to one person with disability doesn't mean it applies to all, and there's something to remember, one size does not fit all. People with disabilities, even the same disability, are individuals. Hmm. How's that for some philosophizing? I think that was on point. Um, I think that was greatly stated,
0: and talking about the media and the movies, I never associated that. Like I, Now I want to go back and watch some of those Jane Bo- James Bond Look at it, And it's almost like a psychological thing, a subconscious thing, but I do think now when I see new media that it's being, a disability is being portrayed in a positive light, and it would almost make me want to... You know, if I only had, let's say I only had one year, and I wanted to try and make the biggest difference. Media plays a huge role in shaping the future, our thoughts. You know, if I could just advocate Hollywood to be like, let's do all positive,
1: empowering roles for every person. Mm-hmm. Hey, after I retire from the state of Alabama, I'm willing to, you know, see what I can do. I'm just kidding. But, yeah. course, but they need more people with real disabilities playing the parts. Of people with disabilities too. A lot of times, you got somebody, and you know, John Voight did a great job in coming home in 1973 movie, paying a, a paralyzed Vietnam veteran. So that's when you look, but he did a great job, but he didn't have a disability. What if you actually had a person that was paralyzed playing that role? Uh, and there's lots of movies where people play. There was a a black comedian that uh, he was in. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Galaxy Quest? Oh yeah. Galaxy Quest, the, the black individual in that that was one of the characters, he later had in a car accident. He was paralyzed. I didn't know. And that. now he's trying to bring more greater awareness to getting people with disabilities into into acting roles. And
0: no, Galaxy yeah. Quest was a great movie. Yeah, he was a great a,
1: he's a great actor, so um have you ever he heard still is.
0: the movie Peanut Butter Falcon? Yes, I have. That was, I thought that was a great movie. It was a really good movie. Yeah. And so movies like this, um, I think we're starting to see more of that. I think it can have a big influence on society at large there in a positive way. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about some of your hobbies. So you mentioned scuba diving earlier.
1: Yes. Tell us how... Well, I mean, it's one of those things where before I was injured, I was a very, very good strong swimmer. when When I was in the Boy Scouts, I did the mild swim in a cold lake. When I got out of that, my legs were spasming. So, and I was lifeguard qualified. Um, And so, when you're underwater, there's no barriers. The astronauts train underwater for weightlessness in space. Mm. And you have to have all this equipment, this uh, life support equipment. You gotta play the, you you gotta obey the rules. But the hardest thing for me in scuba diving, my first open water dive was in the Bahamas. And in our dive instructor, he said, don't worry. And it was lightning, and it was raining, and the swells in the ocean were seven feet high. I'm not exaggerating. It may sound like it. And you're in the back of the boat on this little platform. You're trying to time when the little platform that you're sitting on is equal with the water. And the boat's going up and down, up and down, up and down. And so what I did, I thought, oh, I can do it. And I, and I thought I had it. And I was just you just kind of pitch and roll. You don't jump like other people. You just kind of pitch and roll. And you kind of drop into the water. Well, unfortunately, by the time I did all that, it was seven feet high and I fell seven feet into the water. And the tank hit the back of my head and cut me, and I was bleeding and I was panicking. And I was like, (gasps) and you can't panic when you're using a regulator, you got to do slow, deep breaths. And I was like, (gasps) and I was like, oh, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. And so, and then the joke came, you know, well, you had nothing to worry about. You weren't going to be shark bait because you're an attorney and they would. They would give professional courtesy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I made it. That first dive, I made it, to, and you know, I was able to – you have to decompress, and I think I'm certified for 100 feet. Hmm. And the deepest dive I dove was in the Cayman Islands on a wall dive. It was 300 feet down, and I'm only 100 feet, and I went below 100 feet. But see, there's something called Boyle's Law, which is the the, the amount of volume of your air in your tank is, is indirectly proportional to the pressure in every, when you're above water, it's one atmosphere. Every 33 feet, it's another atmosphere of pressure. Mm -hmm. So if you go down 100 feet, that's like four atmospheres of pressure, okay? Mm -hmm. So it it causes, you lose all your air pressure, where you had like, um, let's say you had 1500 PSI, you're now down to like 500, just like that. They tell you when you get down to 500, you start out with 3000, You're now down to five hundred is because the pressure compresses the gas. Mm. And so I learned all those laws of physics. And you can't stay down too long, something called the bends, where you get too much nitrogen. So you have to go you have to go up every thirty feet and allow it to outgas. Mm. You don't see anybody all of a sudden just come to the surface. They do that, then you know, the bends will occur. You get sick and I've heard that can be fatal. It can be fatal. It can paralyze you. So Like, that's one advantage, I'm already paralyzed, so that, you know, might might not affect, maybe I could have a worse paralysis than I have, so. You see in movies sometimes where they'll, like,
0: pull a hatch and then go up a couple hundred feet to the top, and that's, no,
1: that's pretty unrealistic. (laughs) Very unrealistic. (laughs) Now, do you ever feel claustrophobic down there? No. You know why? Because the secret is this, Mm -hmm. clear water. You see how clear it is in this room, we see each other, go down a hundred feet, you can see the boat above you, clear. What about, would you ever do like a like a lake, like a murky lake? Probably not. That I mean, doesn't it, sound very it doesn't, enticing to me. What's the point? Yeah. Unless there's gold to blooms at the bottom, you know, and you can find some treasure. But other than that, there's really not a reason. You have to be able to see things. That's why you go scuba diving to see things. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I've done a few. I did one in Jamaica, and then I did one in Turks and Caicos. Uh, and I got patty certified when
1: I was younger. Wow. But I have not been in a long time. My Mine is... Uh, I'm trying to think about I, I think I'm Paddy certified, too. So, mm-hmm. um, but the thing is with the, um, is I've, have you ever uh, dove any shipwrecks? We dove a couple of shipwrecks. I have not, no. And we dove through one cave, you know, just two big rocks went through it. Yeah. And I'm behind my dive buddy. He goes this way and I go that way. And I went to the wrong boat because <laughs> it, had, it, had, it had a rope going down. And, I'm like, and I almost ran out of air. And so what my, my dive buddy does, he pulls my regulator out of my mouth and puts his, his octopus, his extra regulator in there. Mm-hmm. And I panicked. And I sucked in air. I should have blown out the water first. I sucked in water. I was choking underwater, trying to get water out when you're in water. It's possible. That's uh, a close call I had. I remember being so scared.
0: I was uh, part of the the training and the certification was we were down I think only like 50 feet um, and you have to take your mask off your goggles off yeah we
1: do that and blow it out yeah yeah,
0: and then you have to take your regulator off and you're there you're basically you know can't see anything so your eyes are closed yeah and then you have to find your regulator again you have to blow everything out and then the other thing we did was the regulator can't be in your mouth you have to let out a couple bubbles of air and almost just kind of like breathe them in as they go through. Yeah, You know, just kind of eat the bubbles. Um, but it was, it was a great experience. I haven't done it in a long time, but it can be very freeing. It, it's like you said, it's like outer space, the buoyancy there. Yeah. Um, that's something that I noticed. I have a family member that has uh, trouble getting around on her own. Yes. And we go to Lakeshore. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and we haven't in the past year just because of the COVID stuff. But before that, it was the
1: only time that she could move unassisted. And she would just go everywhere in the yeah. pool. And Lakeshore, talking about recreation and physical activity, mm-hmm. that is an outstanding facility and programs. And I, I'm on the board of directors there, but um, even if I wasn't on the board, I was a charter member when they opened up their big field house mm-hmm. with all the accessible exercise equipment and the indoor track and the and the basketball court and the swimming pools. I mean, I almost cried when I saw how accessible it was because there was nothing like it. There, there aren't many places like it to this day
0: so. i've been there a few times i go with my aunt um you know once a quarter or something like that just to make sure everything's running well and it is amazing in there and and i've heard i haven't seen yet but they have a new they built on recently that's right um, so there's some new new expansion there that i, I definitely want to check. they got out. a good
1: research program collaborative with uab where they're 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 measuring body mass and people and and uh, sugar intake and and controlling diabetes and program, they have a lot of great research projects going on at Lakeshore. And it is Foundation. a little—it's a little bit of a drive for me, but I—I I would treat
0: it um, just like a YMCA. You know, just go you get a great workout. It's a great community.
1: Uh, the facility top-notch. Um, and the outdoor, they—they—they're out their campus. They've made significant improvements to the campus there too. The walking trails and it's awesome. Now, uh, speaking of some of the other hobbies. Um, Gardening and, and woodworking. Right? All right. Well, see, the gardening I actually did gardening before I was injured. I uh, grew tomatoes and cantaloupes and and all kinds of vegetables. It's vegetable gardening that I like because you got an end product. You know, flowers are cool and everything, but you can't eat you can't most eat flowers. Yeah. You can't really. So, um, but I'm particularly fond of growing tomatoes. My biggest tomato that I ever grew was three pounds. Oh, and it was as big. It was as big as my hand. And when you cut that thing off, and I love BLTs, the one, it was bigger than a slice of bread. That's amazing. Because normally when you make a BLT, you kind of got to layer them over because they're not big enough for this size.
0: You were just cutting across and it was just another slice right on top.
1: That's right. Exactly. It was good stuff. It was a beefsteak tomato. It's called a porterhouse by Burpee. And I I had a contest with my neighbor. And she's the one that weighed the tomato for me. See, I didn't even weigh it, so you can't even count that as the bias. So, um, but <laughs> yeah. but I've, I've developed ways to use compost and to totally use organic gardening. And um, so and tomatoes, I'm, I, in fact, I, I planted my seed indoors right now in order to have the plants ready to plant in the spring. So, What do you think was the, um, the secret ingredient for that three-pounder? I think it wasn't radiation like most people think. <laughs> yeah. It was not radiation. but I think it was uh, the compost, mm. the compost that I, which was a combination of several ingredients, you know, household refuse and leaves, and:
0: We had that growing up where we we never threw anything down the um, drain, but there was a compost bin there, and then we'd always
1: take it out to the garden, and our asparagus would grow. know <sighs> greatest, I love asparagus. Oh, I do too. It's black. We always called uh, compost black gold. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Um, And how about the woodworking? Woodworking was a hobby that I picked up after my injury, and this is how it happened. Uh, When I was in private law practice, I represented this gentleman that had a fused back injury, okay? And he was a master carpenter, and he was working for this builder, and this builder fired him. He said, you can't do this just because of a few facts. So we entered into a settlement with that builder and I got him a pretty good settlement. And um, he he and I built the steamer chest. You know, steamer chest? I'm unfamiliar that. With you that. see on the Titanic. It's those big chests, they got the rounded top. Oh. You know why they have the rounded top on the Titanic? Why the top was rounded? Because oh. rich people didn't want other people stacking stuff on top of their stuff. So they made the top rounded, That's huh. heard. And so we made one of those together, or I finished it, but he showed me how to do it. And I began to use some of, he gave me some of his tool. I used a band saw for the first time, some other things. He taught me some tricks. And so I've built a bunch of those steamer chests now and chests, and uh, I built a workshop behind my house. So I have, I have almost every power tool that you could need. Sometimes Not I- as much as Norm aprons on the, the Yankee workshop, but you know, he's got everything. <laughs> You know, I got half what he does, but it's still enough for me. So sometimes it,
0: I'll get lost on YouTube and, and woodworking videos, and I'll go through. I'm like, this is amazing. And I'll just be memorized. I'll you know fall asleep mm-hmm. to them, uh, and I'll put on like a half hour thing,
1: and that'll just you know. You can all. do it all. I mean, I I built my own those TV trays out of uh cherry and black walnut and the the hardwoods that you can buy, and I'm building cutting boards, you know, and mm-hmm. using my uh, router table to make the edges on them, and. A planer to make them all smooth you know it's just it's you got you got your, your own power tools and all do i yeah i'm building them so i'm starting to build my assembly but i wouldn't show it off in any way yet well if you want to come by sometime and uh, do some woodworking or show you my shop i'd love to do that yeah that would be awesome it's very important i think to work with your hands sometimes i
0: I get in front of the computer and a lot of work is in front of the computer and that can be up here a little too much and your eyes get strained and there's something about just building like a shed or a, you know mm-hmm. whatever a chest
1: and yeah and people say no you didn't make that and I'm like okay I've got the pictures to prove it here's that I got pictures for I when I was cutting the wood when I was gluing it together when I was all the little processes that you use to do it you know um, have you ever used reddit? heard of reddit yes I have Um, I follow a few people on
0: there that post the before and after pictures and a lot of the steps that they do and it's really cool whether that's a porch or you know it's a household item uh, it's cool to follow their progress and they usually put you know paragraphs of what they're doing what materials Mm -hmm. they're using
1: and Instagram's got little videos too on there yeah and that's what I you know I look at quite a few of those and I've gotten ideas for jigs you know use jigs to make different parts to put on things you know on a table saw you know, you know what a tenon is, there's a tenon jig, that's the little male part that goes into the little hole when you oh. put legs and stuff together. Yeah. I mean, the key to woodworking is jointer, just remember that, okay, and there's different ways to do jointer. So. Sometimes I'll watch
0: videos and they don't use any nails and the whole thing just comes together and sits perfectly, mm-hmm. uh, just how they cut it and, and made it.
1: See, a good woodworker, even if you use screws or nails, you hide those so the people never see them. Yeah. So. I'd love that opportunity. Uh,
0: I have to pick out, like, a little project and run it by and be like, hey, is this okay. possible?
1: Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then uh, um, I read the uh, Alabama Trails Foundation. If you could re- tell us a little bit well, about that. I just had the opportunity. They approached me and asked me if I would join. And um, it's a great opportunity. It's a project uh, to make all the trail systems in Alabama, connect them all together, make them make, – you know, trails are a major economic impact. And uh, they bring people communities, they increase spending in those areas, and it's just great for tourism. It has a lot of different advantages in it. So uh, I'm like, I wanna make sure they're accessible to people with disabilities as much as they can. Now there's certain terrain features that you can't make accessible, but a lot you can mm-hmm. to make accessible. And so I've been working with that, and I was honored to be selected as the chair. And so I'm working with the folks down uh, my friend uh, Brian Rushing at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa uh, it does a lot of the lake work for this committee. So the, tra- the Trails Foundation is, a, you know, it's really going. To, I think it's it's done a lot of good work, uh, and uh, I'm just there. Anything that I'm on, uh, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm pushing for people with disabilities and greater access. I think it's really important. It's something
0: that I enjoy, whether it's at um, Red Mountain or I'm going down to um, Oak Mountain, uh, Mm -hmm. the park down there, getting out and being um, you know outside. And when we were speaking with Dr. Scott Harris, I asked him. I said, "What if you could say to somebody how to improve your health?" And he said, "There's two things: stop smoking if you do, and go for a walk or get outside.
1: Absolutely, exercise. Yeah, yes. And mental. I mean, the sun." The sun has a lot of good healing powers. Vitamin D. Vitamin I always D. call it a photon shower. There you I'm go. Go outside for my photon. <laughs> Photons. Shower. That's a, that's a great way to put it. That's an awesome way to put it. <laughs> and, um,
0: uh, there is a challenge through the Alabama Trails Foundation that I was reading up on. Um, is it's the Alabama Hundred Miles Challenge? That's right. And so it's a challenge for Alabamians to get out and log their miles, whether that's you know boating or uh, trailing or whatever that looks like. And there have been uh, I, I think almost thirteen hundred people so far that have logged thirty five thousand miles yeah um, so that's that's amazing. I mean and the Alabama-
1: waterways are part of the trails too. Mm-hmm. yes, I feel like Alabama has so much to give in that in the geography landscape of being outside. Uh, Alabama' is rich in resources and people, and we are the what I heard the fifth most biologically diverse state in the union. I believe it. I mean, we don't get the winter cold so we can be
0: outside a lot more. Uh, we kind of compete with like an Arizona in that aspect where we can do
1: year-round stuff. That's right. I mean, hey, it's uh, we have a lot of hidden jewels in this state. Yeah. Um, we're going to kind of uh, wrap it up here and kind of close in. Um,
0: are there any upcoming events that you would like to mention? And I know it's tough to
1: get in person right now. I can't think of anybody right now, but I mean, we. I know there's a lot of Zoom chats and stuff and if anybody wants to become involved with my local advisory councils, we have some of those coming up. We have Zoom meetings. Um, and how would somebody um, ask to be a part of that? Just email me.
0: Would it and, be okay if we put your email in the chat? Absolutely. And
1: um, how about Camp uh, Aska? When do you think the next time that that'll be available? I think they're working on opening up some camps this week this summer. Oh, you think it'll so be COVID's available? So COVID's been a challenge, they're working on it. I can't say it will be, but that's the goal.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the chat about Camp Aska. Um,
1: you know, wonderful camp, a must go for children, is what they're saying. Yeah. Even adults, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things when I was injured, I was an avid hiker and camper, and I thought I had lost all that stuff, but it's just a different way to do it. And they teach you and they, and you know, I think all those things too, Doing something outdoors that challenges you builds confidence. Mm. When I went off that zip line, and I went down six feet and then it caught me, I said, if I can do this, I can do anything. Uh, I, I don't know how you did that. I, you wouldn't catch me up there doing that. It's, it's awesome. The only thing I didn't do when I was on my honeymoon mm-hmm. in San Francisco, and I wanted to try it, that's something called wheelchair bungee jumping. And it would take your wheels off and hook that core and just throw you over a bridge. I didn't do it. My wife, you know, in her good sense, you know, said not to, and so we didn't.
0: I feel like I'd never trust the bungee. How about um, jumping out of an airplane? Is that something that you want to do?
1: Actually, I do know a couple of my friends that are wheelchair users that have done that. Yes, I'd like to do it. My twin brother is a ranger and a jump master. Yes, sir. I don't know if he would do it with me, but uh, finds a good person that is – That has a lot of experience that could be my legs Mm -hmm. yeah i'd try that would be a cool experience it's not something i've ever wanted to do but it might be a bucket list item down the road there well but there is (coughs) one thing i always tell folks i have one disability i don't want another one so i would be very careful (laughs) Um, is there anything
0: that we haven't talked about today um, that you'd like to bring up and that
1: um, individuals parents and organizations watching could really benefit from hearing well, what I would say is, for families and individuals, never give up. Keep your expectations high but reasonable. Keep on advocating. Be positive, because people with disabilities, whether they know or not, are all are all ambassadors for each other. If somebody has a negative experience with one person with a disability, they tend to project it on other people. Mm-hmm. With the rest of the public is generally uneducated about disability. They put people with disabilities all into one big, homogenous, look-alike family, and that's that could be further from the truth. So, and avoid having a large chip on your shoulder. We all get frustrated, um, and I understand about being frustrated. That's part, you know, living with a disability. You get frustrated every day, and so I would ask to that seek out mentors. Seek out mentors. There's somebody else that probably has a situation just like yours that you could get. When I was injured, um, I had a guy that came from uh, from Georgia Tech. He was a cheerleader on Georgia Tech. He jumped off the trampoline and he broke his neck. Now he had a low level quadriplegic or some people call tetraplegia and he could still push his chairs with the, with the palm of his hands, okay? and uh, he told me about the time, he, he was a wild man before he got the entry, he's a wild man, he said, one time I went into a bar, one time I got into a bar fight. <laughs> this guy's in a chair and he has less function than I do, but he still has a pretty good amount of, fun. but he also showed me how to jump a six inch curve in a manual wheelchair. Mm. Now, every time that I've jumped a six inch curve, I've done okay, but the wheelchair hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't made, especially the foldable kind, so that I use in order to get in on a car. So anyway, you're a valuable part of society. People with disabilities and their families are a valuable part of society. That is the last frontier. We are the last frontier of people who are trying to get their full rights. And of course, and again, I, I've given you a lot of little sayings here that I didn't come up with, but I love them anyway. We're quoting you from now on in all of these. All right, but I didn't come up with them. So to boldly go where everyone else has gone before. You know, I told about nothing about us, without us, that's important. But the last thing I want to leave with, with is this. I'm a true believer who wants to make a meaningful impact.
0: Dr. Sisson, we really appreciate you being with us this morning. Um, and sharing your experience
1: and your work. Um, and I feel honored to be in this room with you. Uh, well, thank you. I've enjoyed this, and hopefully I, some of what I said can help some other folks.
0: Oh, 100%. We're going to go through it. We're going to make clips of it, smaller clips, and uh, share those out as well. So uh, once again, we want to thank you on behalf of the community uh, for spending the time with us this morning and sharing. So, Thank you. And at this point, we're going to go ahead and uh, end the broadcast. It was great to be with you guys today. And be sure we're going to put some links in the chat here. Be sure to click on those and reach out to Dr. Sissons if you have any question or want to be a part uh, of anything that he's doing. We'll see you guys later in the week.